a lot of people are competing with haven't really got with the times. They don't have a, a sophisticated lead generation business like we do. Um, and it's, you know, luckily we've had really good resources and, and funding and uh, all that sort of stuff to kind of skip a few years. But it's it's the whole lifeblood of the business. Like I said, cash flow is everything. And you don't get cash flow in this business unless you have a lot of deals closing. And you don't have a lot of deals closing without a lot of leads. And how do you get a lot of leads? You spend a lot of money. And that's that is it. You know, it's uh, it's it's just that. And then you have to be able to do that every month. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Dom Santanello. Dom is a very experienced real estate investor who left his W-2 job through real estate investing and a few other activities that he's going to tell you all about. And today we're talking about, he's teaching us about how to stay competitive in a hot real estate market like we have today all throughout the country, very hot real estate market. And he's going to teach us how he and his business partners have designed their business to stay competitive in today's market. A lot of great information on this one. You're going to learn a ton. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews and they think, hey, this person learned something from this show and I should tune in as well. And you know what? I see your reviews too. I see that you're learning and engaging with the show and I appreciate that so, so much. That keeps us going here. We really appreciate that feedback. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe no matter what podcast app you use and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Dom Santanello. Without any further ado, here we go. Dom, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You have a really interesting background, a lot of great experience. I'm excited to dig into what we're going to talk about today. For our listeners out there who don't know about yourself, your business, and your background, can you tell us about a bit about what you do and uh, where you come from? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the Cliff Note version of that is uh, 29 years old, uh, born in Western Massachusetts. Uh, father's an immigrant from Italy, went the traditional route of... Uh, getting an engineering degree, getting a master's degree, getting an amazing nine to five uh, corporate job. Uh, really no complaints with that through that journey, but always kind of wanted something more. Um, started getting into real estate passively on the side just to pay off some student loans. What that looked like was uh, getting a real estate sales license, hanging it under my aunt at the time who was a broker, doing some, uh, you know, some small transactions on the side there, and then ultimately getting my first duplex and uh, starting two businesses, um, Naples Home Buyers and Naples Realty Group, with my partner Luke Justo. Uh, one is a fix and flip company where we focus on uh, generating off-market leads, flipping the properties, wholesaling the properties, or burying them. Uh, we also do buy and hold on turnkey stuff with those profits. And then the other 
half of our business is the brokerage, which we've uh, branded the investor-friendly brokerage. Uh, and we really market to uh, like-minded real estate agents and investors uh, to come, you know, affiliate with us and work together to uh, be financially free. Nice. I love it. We are, we're all about that goal here. And you, you know, really got yourself out of your W-2 job at a pretty early age. And I want to walk through that and learn about your journey and, you know, how you, uh, decided that this this path you're on now was preferable to the you know engineering gig, right? Yeah, so that I mean that definitely didn't happen overnight. It was a long, slow, calculated journey of consistency. So I actually my last day in corporate America was last June, so June first of uh, 2021. That was I think uh, the seven year mark for me in corporate America. Um, as an engineer. So I pretty much, people didn't even know when I made my announcement that I was leaving corporate that I even had a job because I had essentially, you know, for the last year before that, uh, been pretty heavy on social media and building the brand and and working more than full-time on those side businesses. And COVID was a real uh, blessing in disguise at the time, being able to work fully remote and at that point, we ended up uh, getting office space furnishing and I made the decision, I'm never going back to the office. So um, how I did that though, a few steps back, which is really the important piece was one, uh, leveraging that first time home buyer program, getting into a, a duplex owner occupied. Uh, from there, leveraged some creative financing and scaled into some other multifamily investments, uh, You know, getting into them less than 20% down, which was huge at the time. And then really from there, just building uh, building a pipeline of, of sales to lean on. So on the, on the residential side, uh, having a pipeline of just transactional work to get those you know, big sums of money coming in and then also just cash flow. So methodically building a cash flowing portfolio was really important and that allowed me to essentially replace my salary and then um, you know, not really miss a beat and just go full time in the, into, into the real estate space. Awesome. That's great. That's and you achieved it in a a relatively uh, short time frame, at least compared to you know a lot of others who set themselves out on on the similar path. Can you walk us through when you first kicked it off with that owner occupied duplex to you know when you were able to leave your job and go full time? Yeah, sure. So in my opinion, it actually took me a little longer at first being an engineer because I was killing myself with uh, the analysis or paralysis by analysis and spreadsheets and all that good stuff. So I would say I was on the sidelines for probably an extra year going to you know a ton of deals and psyching myself out over uh, a decimal point on a cap rate on a two family, which really doesn't mean all that much now. But you know at the time, that was pretty much it. So um, 2018 was the first purchase. I actually went back to back. I got my first house and then second house a few months later. So went from zero to four units pretty quickly. Um, and then from there, like I said, it was uh, June 1st of 2021 was my last day, uh, you know, collecting a paycheck there. So soup to nuts, I would say really, you know, there was three years of growth, um, you know, to really get to that point. So soup to nuts, three years of, uh, you know, building a portfolio and then getting a partner. And then we started building a portfolio together. And just one of those things where you kind of leverage your strengths. And, you know, I I run one side of the business and my partner, Luke, runs the other. And together where, you know, we focus on what we're good at and we're able to rapidly, 
like really scale quickly, uh, you know, figured out lead gen, figured out financing, figured out construction and really kind of blasted off pretty quick. Nice. That's awesome. So can you tell us a bit about the types of deals that you're doing today? And then I really want to dig into how to invest in, in such a competitive environment. But before we get to that, can you tell us about you know the, what you're doing now as far as you know investment deals? Yeah. So it's actually pretty simple. I mean, right now we've really figured out like the two to four family space just because those, you know, there's more inventory there and less competition. We see a lot of people overpaying on the bigger buildings now just because they're doing 1031s and rolling profits, you know, on smaller buildings into there. So we're going direct to seller two to four units, then also on the single family side of things. And that's really what we perfected is, is that branding and that whole system of, you know, lead generation and then getting deals under contract and moving them to the closing table and then moving them from the closing table right to construction and then uh, so on and so forth. So um, really just building an ironclad system uh, to do that has been really helpful. And then pretty much what we do, it's simple. Like we can, we can service any lead. Um, if so, you know, worst case scenario leads, just a, a retail lead will, will steer through the brokerage and collect a, a commission, um, just put it on the market. You know, let's say our offer is, you know, way far off from theirs. They owe too much money. It's still a fine deal. We can capitalize on it and get a commission, which would be our smallest way of, of, you know, monetizing a lead. Uh, the second way that we could do it is just through like a traditional wholesale. So we can do a double close assignment, a contract. If we have another investor that's interested in a project and, and collect a fee that way, um, the real you know juice is really going to be when we get a, a, a big margin fix and flip project and or multifamily burr where we can go in, add value through construction, either take a profit on the sale or have enough uh, margin where we can go to the bank, refi, get our cash back and keep it moving. So at the end of the day, there's, you know, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but we put ourselves in a position to uh, monetize every single lead that we can, and then just keep rolling those profits back into multifamily. That's pretty much all we're doing. Nice. I like that. And you have a lot of ways to, like you said, monetize uh, these opportunities. And I find it interesting that the, really the retail exit option is the least profitable on your end. So basically listing it on the MLS is the least profitable for you. And I find that interesting in, in light of uh, where the market is today. You know, We're still doing commercial deals on my investment side, but also my fiance and I are shopping for a new primary residence, primarily on the MLS. And it's absolutely insane what people are paying for properties on the MLS. It's almost like the condition is irrelevant. They'll just pay whatever just to buy a property. And I wonder how in the residential space, how investors can even survive. Like why would a, a seller sell their property to directly to an investor or, or, or a flipper rather than just, Hey, I can list it on the MLS and get, you know, full retail without doing any work to it. So, I mean, how are you staying competitive, staying relevant and, you know, making deals happen as an investor? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, it's a hot topic every day here, and pretty much, you know, how do we? It's a numbers game. The the unfortunate answer is there's no secret. There's no like recipe. It's just it's just grit and consistency and a lot of marketing dollars. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just understanding the seller's motivation and servicing it properly. So like like I told you before, our goal every week is to have ten motivated seller appointments. 
um, from those appointments, we'll usually get six to seven offers in front of those people because there's always a 20 uh, to, I guess, 40% chance that uh, it's just not a fit or they don't, you know, they just want to see what we would offer and we're hundreds of thousands off or whatever the case may be. So uh, just leveraging that funnel. And it, it takes a lot of, you know, time and effort to even get those 10 appointments set. But from there, it's all conversion rates. So we go from uh, the 10 appointments to call it six offers to a 10% close rate on or accepted offer rate on those uh, on those offers. And then of that 10%, there's probably an 80% close rate. So you're losing 20% just due to title issues, uh, people backing out, getting cold feet, um, change in motivation, whatever. So it really at scale is a very hard business to thrive in because, you know, cash flow is the lifeblood of any business. And in a flipping wholesaling business, you need to be consistency, you know, moving uh, inventory and closing deals and floating projects. And I mean, we've been in situations where we have eight projects going on at once and nothing's closing for a couple months. And, you know, you have your payroll going out and you have like expenses and you got to keep your marketing going. And there's some, you know, it's like feast or famine. It feels like it's definitely different from the nine to five life where every Friday had a nice uh, big check in, in your checking account and you're off to the races. It's just, uh, you know, controlling that, that pipeline is the key. And the way you control it is by, you know, funding your marketing and always having, you know, opportunities uh, in the backlog. And we found, I mean, we've been doing this for just about two years now, like formally with a brand together. And it really, it just until like right now, we, we struggled with having like consistent flow. And like now we're at a point where our board has, you know, always du double digit deal, you know, number of deals uh, in escrow that we're either closing out, working on or, or looking to move. So it, it's, you need to invest heavily for probably 18 months to 24 months consistently until you start compounding that backlog. And then you service that backlog down uh, to monetization of it. Nice. I really like the and appreciate your systems level and and numbers driven thinking and design of the of the system. There is that just does that come naturally to you as a you know engineering minded person, or do you kind of have to figure that out over time and say, hey, we want such and such number of leads or opportunities you know closed on the back end, and then reverse engineer that to figure out, okay, basically how many marketing pieces do we have to send and so on and so forth? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say that's just kind of like what I personally bring to the table is that, you know, analysis element and forecasting. And, you know, in my, in my prior career, I pretty much was, uh, you know, in the project management side of things, which dealt with, you know, doing projects and then also running the money side of things and forecasting and, you know, doing the accounting and all that. So that's definitely, a very important parts. And, you know, like Kevin O'Leary, Shark Tank, like I, I listen to a lot of like that stuff on the side. And his number one thing is always know your numbers. And that used to haunt me because, you know, the first year I'm like, I don't even know our numbers yet because we haven't gone through two or three tax return seasons. We haven't done something consistently for one to two years and, and measured, uh, you know, on a percentage basis where all this stuff is coming from. And just now, like, as we were just did basically all our uh, account reconciles and stuff from last year it was a very exciting to like actually have data, you know, like not just piecemeal, like full data of one year of like full commitment and like all these areas. And then now we basically, again, are just reverse engineered. How much do we want to make this year? How do we do that? That means we got to do X, Y, and Z. And what does it take to do that? X, Y, it literally just working backwards. And you know, what it basically comes down to is we need 10 motivated seller appointments every week, all the time for this, for this thing to work, you know? 
um, for us to, you know, go where we want to go. So that's, that's key. Cause a lot of times, I mean, the number one thing people do is they come to us and say, Oh, I want to quit my job. I want to flip houses. And you know, my first answer is, are you sure? <laughs> because, because it is, uh, it is, a, an act of God to get, you know, a deal to the closing table. And I mean, we've, we've had so many deals under agreement that take one year, two years with the oldest deal we have right now is still in land court. It's been two years and we're looking to close it in a month or two. So 24 months, you know, if that was the only deal you had going on, you kept waiting, you know, you'd be, uh, you'd be in trouble. So, wow. So I'm really curious about the the logistics side of actually doing a flip deal right now. I mean, we have all this inflation going on and, you know, to my estimation, a lot of that is supply shortage driven. And we see that in the real estate world when it comes to, I mean, lumber prices have gone insane, both up and down. You know, we we hear a lot about availability of you know appliances and other you know construction materials and builder sentiment. I believe I saw recently is actually lower than it was because they're having a hard time getting stuff and people to build the properties. How has your experience been there? Has that impacted your flipping business? And how have you guys you know dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely. I mean, I guess for us, it's kind of all we know because we got into this right at the height of you know the market and everything. And really, it just comes down to it. It's from our mentors and network and people have been in the space for a decade and everything. Like, th- there's a different level of effort that goes into getting a deal. I mean, if you're a flipping company five years ago, you could pretty much just have calendar reminders that every quarter you send out a bulk mailer, you know, and you could pretty much reverse engineer your deal flow, and you could have a nice you know, eight to 12 deals a year with, you know, an average of 30 to 50 K profit and, and do just fine. That's like the old school way, uh, run thin, you know, maybe you have an admin on staff part-time and you can do that. It's a different, it's a different game right now. And I think for us, luckily we came into an environment where we can't just go on MLS and get a flip. We can't just send out a mailer and, and get a response and, and all that. So we kind of, by force had to figure out if we're going to thrive and, and, you know, dominate in this market and and get where we want to go. How do we, how do we get the deals? And it's over the last year, it's been a journey of figuring that out. And pretty much what we're seeing is a lot of people that were here before and they had a big referral pipeline and they had an existing name are not getting the success that we're having because they're relying on those old methods. Um, We see it too in the multifamily space. A lot of people that scaled sizable portfolios, they're, they're coming from the days of getting their real estate agent and going on, you know, 10 tours on a Saturday and lowballing and, you know, 10 of them and, you know, two say yes. And then they do that. And, you know, that's, that's just a different mindset for us, you know? So we like to think that we're, we're training with three bats right now. And then when the market changes, we're going to drop down to one and have a field day where, you know, I think a lot of people are competing with haven't really got with the times. They don't have a, a sophisticated lead generation business like we do. Um, and it's, you know, luckily we've had really good resources and, and funding and uh, all that sort of stuff to kind of skip a few years, but it's, it's the whole lifeblood of the business. Like I said, cash flow is everything and you don't get cash flow in this business unless you have a lot of deals closing and you don't have a lot of deals closing without a lot of leads. And how do you get a lot of leads? You spend a lot of money. And that's, <laughs> that is it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just that. And then you have to be able to do that every month. Absolutely. If you want to get to the dist- destination at 6 p.m. and it takes a half an hour to get there, then you got to leave by 5.30, right? It's it's the same type of thing, just significantly uh, more 
complicated. And you made a lot of comments in there, but one in particular I want to kind of dig into is you said when the market changes and all markets change, nothing stays the same, you know, for for good and bad all the time, but I think one of the things I see a lot of in today's market is this mentality of get in now or be priced out forever. This is never going to drop. You know, it's all we got to get in now. And, you know, it's a different situation and, you know, times change, but, you know, not that much. People are still really the same. What are your thoughts about that when the market changes? I'm not saying that we can predict when, right? But that mentality of being aware that this insanity won't last forever, right? Yeah, no, uh, for sure. And there's there's like a couple ways to look at it. And I actually, um, I didn't really respond, but you made a comment about you and your fiance looking for your primary house. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually in the same boat. And it pains me being in the business to not, you know, be getting into a deal and just be paying, you know, retail that on something that needs a renovation. So we've been struggling with that. And me personally, that's kind of me dragging my feet a bit because it's it, it's just such a hard pill to swallow. Um, but I don't see it really you know, I said when the market changes, but I didn't say when. I don't think this is something where next year we're waking up and, you know, we're back to uh, sufficient inventory and stuff. So yes, I think price and inventory are going to be two different things here. So prices, I think, will get pushed down a little bit or just slow down on the increase due to, you know, interest rates. Interest rates go up for every 1% they go up, uh, affordability to the consumer goes down 10%. So I think, you know, if we saw, if we wake up tomorrow and and the prime on a 30-year goes to 4.5 or 5, then obviously we're going to see some some push down in the price and everything. However, I don't think it's really something that we can put on Excel and, and say what's going to happen because until that big inventory you know, peace is solved. People are still going to, are, are going to be overpaying. So, um, you know, I guess the two elements of my life where I'm looking at that one is like, you know, on a single family home, I'm not really looking at that as an investment more of just like, you know, the next step in my life. So I'm less concerned there on the investment side. We, everything we buy and hold on, on the multifamily side is, is, all about cash flow. I don't even look at appreciation. I don't even care. It's not even a metric. You know, if we can, everything we buy now hold for 10 to 15 years, you know, through a cycle, it's never going to be less. That's the only thing we know. It's just, can we, can we cash flow through a downturn? And, you know, our answer is, is absolutely. I mean, most of our debt coverage ratios are uh, 1.6 to 2.1, which is, is monster compared to minimum. So um, really that's good. for anything that we actually keep, we're, we're in the money. And then we always just kind of take a look at it with how many flips, you know, we have going on our projects and make sure if, you know, things really changed quick that we're always liquid enough to, you know, pay off our investors and, and, you know, take a hit if we had to. And I mean, that's pretty much all I do is look at those numbers. And we've never been in a situation where I've even really lost any sleep over that just because of, you know, the, the, equity we're getting into these things when we buy them and actually do a project is significant. And, you know, I always say the next day we could slap a a for sale sign and make 25% if we had to. I like that. And one of the things I try to bear in mind here is that this, this competitive home buying market for, you know, owner occupants on the MLS, I mean, we're, I'm seeing prices go up 10% month over month as people see interest rates going up and they think, man, I got to get in before interest rates go up any higher. And they're just, you know, really, you know, putting all of their chips on the table. But with the market being so competitive, that makes it harder for 
you know, and I hate to say this, frankly, but that makes it harder for people to get out of rental properties and into primary ownership. And that puts a lot of upward pressure on rents. So, you know, as a rental property apartment owner, I mean, it's it's a positive impact, but in a way, you know, I hate to see it because housing in some areas is really getting insanely unaffordable. And I'm a little concerned about that side of things, right? Yeah, I agree with that. And same with the rents. I mean, obviously as a landlord, we love seeing, you know, high market rents, but it does get a little concerning when we look at rents that are higher than a mortgage. And the only reason these people are paying them is because there's no house to buy. Uh, we run into that a lot. And then we see a lot of roommate situations now, three to four beds, almost always, uh, you know, there's going to be one, two, three people living in there just to cut that cost down. Um, so it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, obviously we're, we're running numbers really conservative on rents, uh, and anything we get is, you know, gravy over that. But one thing I also noticed too, like, cause we, we straddle in two markets, like, you know, on the, on the add value side of things, those are, you know, usually a little harder properties, but, um, a lot of the stuff that we like to burr or keep are, um, like class B, B plus units, you know, people are working with, you know, 700 or 650, 700 credit scores, you know, 80 to hundred K incomes, way different business model and clientele, lower cap rates, but more predictable uh, cash flow. You're actually hitting your pro forma there versus, you know, stuff uh, where you don't want to leave your car unlocked. So um, <laughs> the thing though, is that, you know, those really good people are, not going to be in your apartment long. You know, they're almost always, you know, looking to buy a house after looking to do whatever. And, you know, those units actually have a little bit higher turnover. You know, it's not like people are getting in and they're just staying at a thousand a month and they're happy with, you know, that if you're paying two grand a month for a three bed in Western Mass, you're probably on Zillow every night waiting, <laughs> waiting for something to come up. Um, mm -hmm. It's just that there's not a lot of that. So, you know, it's uh, definitely an interesting time. I mean, I guess like for us being in the business, this is really all we know. And we're just trying to be uh, ready and aware for a change. But unless something crazy overnight happens, which you could say COVID was, that literally was overnight that all, you know, if that couldn't, uh, that's ultimate stress test, in my opinion, watching that. Uh, I don't think we're done seeing the the blowback from that just on like the the actual foreclosure side of things. But um, on like a landlord perspective, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the blood has already been lost and we don't really get a ton of calls for like a non-paying COVID tenant anymore. That was big, you know, a year to six months ago. And it seems like that's all kind of, you know, worked out and people realize that the party's over and you got to pay rent. So to sum it all up, I just want to make sure I understand correctly here and I'm really getting everything you're saying. So to stay competitive in today's market from your perspective for your business comes down to understanding your business and having systems built around it, monitoring the numbers to make sure you have adequate deal flow to keep your pipeline full so you have cash flow coming into your business. And then for the properties that you're going to buy and hold, continually conservatively underwriting those deals to make sure that you can weather storms that come down the road. Is there anything else you would add to that? I mean, that, those are, those are the, the foundation pillars of the business. Um, you know, I would say really the only thing I have to add to that is that the only way you achieve that is by uh, consistency, like extreme consistency, not for a month, not for two months. I mean, this is like, you know, you got to be a year, two years, three years. I mean, we're just catching our stride on the consistency, you know, side of things and seeing this year through, like, I mean, we say every Monday, like in our meeting, um, we finally just finished building the machine. 
Like we, you know, it's always, it's a race car, right? Like you're going to got to do the oil change. You got to tune it up. We're going to have to like play around with like little levers, but the meat and potatoes of our brand and our machine are built. And now we need to see that through. So I, you know, in a year, I'm going to be even more excited, hopefully, or not in the business anymore about, you know, the numbers and all these sort of things, because having like a, like a true January 1st start date with everything in place, going through the reps is going to tell us a lot about where we're heading, what we're doing, what we need to work on all that good stuff. Cause even last year at this time, um, you know, we didn't, I don't even think we had the office set up yet. We didn't have any employees. It was just me and my, uh, my business partner. We had one intern that we ended up getting rid of and starting from scratch. We were really discouraged about that. And, you know, after months of training them and leaning on them, all that sort of stuff. So now we started uh, this year with like four part-time people, two full-time and then me and my partner, Luke too. So we're really, you know, ready to hit play here. Awesome. I love it. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Dom, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh. You know, without going the direction of just walking through like a deal and talking about percentages and numbers and cash flow, I think an important thing, and I would always have that answer because I have a deal right in my head I want to talk about, but I think really a bigger investment is just in your brand. So I remember uh, even before I had a partner, did anything like even like this logo and stuff, like knowing the importance of those little things that you can undo. So, I mean, just having... Uh, a rock solid logo, uh, website, Google, all those things. It always feels like when you're getting started, those are the easiest thing to overlook. I remember spending five grand on a website and a logo before I even did anything. I just, I didn't even own anything yet, but I knew, I just knew that I wanted, you know, to start slowly building that. And, you know, if you're two years in and you don't like your name or you don't have like a real logo and you're going back in time, it's always like right now, I can't imagine having to redo a logo and even deal with that because like now we're really into the, we're doing business now, but uh, you know, that best investment for getting started is, is take the time to seriously get an awesome logo, uh, a good one to two syllable name, something that could scale. I don't like when people use their names just because I, I feel like it kind of like limits, you know, everything to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're really building a team and a business, it's not all about you. It's about the brand. So, you know, summarize, I, I would say the best investment I've ever made was into building a brand and then giving that brand an identity. And that was something when I, you know, Luke and I partnered up, it was just in the early stages of, of getting that concept together. And we just, we just made it ours and we ran with it. And that, you know, that leads to building a culture and a team and, you know, a vision and, it's all, I guess, I, I would probably think that's all corny and, you know, BS before, <laughs> but uh, 
when you're actually kind of in it, th- those are the things that draw people to us. It make people want to deal with us and even make sellers want to sell to us. It's all those little things. I mean, how do me and you stand apart on an appointment? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't have a, a brand and you don't have a name and you're not presenting yourself right, I mean, already you're at a disadvantage. You're absolutely right. I like that. And the, especially early on, that helps it all feel real and legitimate. And then as you build it, as it gets more and more real, then it just you know, builds on itself. So I, I like that. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I'm still giving that some thought. Um, <laughs> You know, the worst, I would say the worst investment that I made was my time in the beginning of this whole journey. So like I said, I I must have went to 50 houses and, you know, spent so much time on these like crazy spreadsheets and, you know, analysis and comps and all that stuff. And what I was losing was opportunity costs, uh, you know, so I, I was very, I, I invested, I guess the bad investment was just too much. I couldn't get out of my own way. I was just too type A, too detailed, too focused, and I, I wasn't being realistic. And that's been like a great compliment my business partner has to us where you know, our first deal, I'm around the numbers and he was like, all right, let's buy it and then run the numbers. And I was like, those are just two different, those are two different mindsets and obviously just kidding a little bit. But we, uh, we put that to like, hey, let's, you know, he's a doer and just wants to take action and, you know, figure it out on the fly. And I was just like the complete opposite there. So like, you know, combining those, those two mindsets puts us in a great spot now because it even helps me to, you know, not focus too much on the details. And a lot of this stuff is just getting into it. And, you know, we're, we're in a position to fail. I mean, even if we, we've never lost money on a flip, but if we lost money on a flip, we got six more going, you know, so that's kind of, uh, kind of our mindset now. So final, final answer, the, the worst investment was just kind of the wrong, uh, just investing my time wrong in the beginning. And I think that really held me back. I mean, in the short journey, this has been, you know, one year is would be 25% of that journey wasted, you know, and we've only talked about the other three. So, you know, maybe starting this a year too early could have been, you know, another 10 units under management or whatever the case may be. So never know, but time is our only asset that we can't get more of. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the biggest lesson that you know we've learned, I think, through other people too, not just ourselves, is when building you know a, a real brand and reputation is just doing what you say you're going to do. Uh, the best example I have of that is um, we we had made an offer for just a distressed property seller in our market, um, and kind of overlooked a couple things, and then the deal died, and and she came back six months later and was like, Hey, well, you know, you guys said you, that the offer is still good. Is this offer still good? I have a condo lined up and everything would be contingent upon you paying that exact price that you said. So we had a decision now, do we, do we not do it or do we do it? And we just kind of looked at the big picture and said, you know what, even if we get into this thing and we lose, you know, 10% or something, what we did is we showed up, we, we delivered on, on our promise and, uh, it just by fate so happened to be one of those things that we ended up just, it felt like the right thing to do. We still close on it. We said we would. This is the best review we've ever gotten from someone and we didn't ask for it. She must've wrote a paragraph like this, sent us cards. I mean, literally changed her whole life, basically got her out of a horrible situation and we we ended up doing okay on the deal too. Um, so an example to that, but definitely the most important lesson. This is a 
it's a small pond. I feel like the more, you know, you rise up and there's just like, you know, every time you get up to a different level, there's less people in the space that are competing and, you know, having good relations with everyone uh, is huge and burning bridges. I mean, we've, we really haven't done that. And we've watched a lot of people do that. And, you know, that, you know, you really just never know uh, when stuff is going to come back around or when you need to work with someone or help someone. So the important lesson uh, is definitely just be mindful of your reputation. Always do what you say you're going to do. Have ethics, you know, business ethics are huge. And it's not all about money because, I mean, I'm sure we could all point out people in our markets that are grinding people out and, you know, stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny kind of thing. And those are the kind of people I think when, you know, things change, you're just going to get shaken out because, uh, you know, that, that doesn't scale. Absolutely. I've been around in real estate long enough to, you know, see people doing deals, we'll say the wrong way, but unethically, and we'll leave it at that. And then, you know, I have a problem with that, but Hey, there's nothing I can do about it. And then wait a couple of uh, years and wouldn't you know, it all falls apart, unfortunately for, you know, we'll say the victims in that situation, but you know, a lot of this stuff, it doesn't last forever and we need to always bear that in mind. And Dom, I want to thank you for joining us and sharing all of these lessons with us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you, your business or anything like that, where can they track you down? Uh, I would say email. I'm a big email guy. That's that works. So it's uh, just dom, D-O-M at naples-group.com. Um, and then obviously if you, if you look up Naples home buyers or Naples realty group, get on any social media or website, all that's going to funnel back to, back to us anyways, but emails the most direct. But if you want to go another route, we have people that will answer DM, Facebook, uh, requests, forum stuff, all that good stuff. And, uh, we'll definitely get back to you. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. 